Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Kelly Scroy was diagnosed with invasive ductal carcinoma in September 2011, two days before her 41st birthday. She had bilateral mastectomies with reconstruction, chemotherapy, and radiation. Today, Kelly is 10 years cancer-free. Kelly, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm thrilled. So before I hit record... We talked about the timing of your diagnosis, but (laughs) yes, even prior to that, tell us what happened, you know, were there symptoms, just kind of give us the, the big picture there. There was nothing. I, this is exactly like the craziest story because I was working out one day and I had this like stabbing pain in the side of my left breast. Like someone just took a knife and was like, and I was like, what the hell is that? So, you know, then you start poking around because you're like, why does this hurt? Why does this hurt? And I feel like, well, there's kind of a bump there. Well, then that bump started to hurt because I poked at it for so long. Um, I went to see my OBGYN because I had had cysts when I had my kids. So I was like, well, maybe it's a cyst. Maybe I need to have it just like checked, drained, whatever. And he's like, I don't really see anything here, but why don't I send you for an ultrasound and we'll see what they say. Three days later, I go for an ultrasound. The radiologist comes in and he's like, why did, you know, the doctor not send you for a mammogram? That was my first thought. (laughs) Exactly. Well, so I had no health insurance at the time. So he was trying to get the result that he could without charging me having to spend a ton of money because he thought it was nothing. So they send me in, they're like, look, well, you know, it's, we'll do your, you know, self-pay rate for a mammogram. Let's do a mammogram to do mammogram. And there's two areas that show up on the mammogram that they want biopsy. Okay. This is not good news. The following week I went in for a biopsy and One of the, there were two, one was below the other. So the doctor in the office is like, I can't do this here. We need to go into the hospital. So now, you know, you're getting nervous. Like now, you know, like in my brain, I knew at this point in time, no one had confirmed it. There was no diagnosis, but my brain knew like, all right, this is not just a cyst. So they do, you know, the needle guided biopsy in the hospital. And this is all within like eight days. I'm having lunch on a Friday afternoon with my parents about to go get my results. And you know, my attitude was, well, I got a 50, 50 chance, right? It's either negative or positive. So I'm telling my parents, regardless, I'm going to be fine. No big deal. Go to the doctor's office for my results. And I'm sitting there and the medical assistant comes out and she looks at me funny. And she's like, are you by yourself? And that's when I knew. I'm like, yeah, I'm by myself. She's like, okay, come in. And I'm sitting in this room in a paper towel and I'm like, you know, okay, waiting for the doctor. Wait, wait, wait. It's either positive or negative. Either way, you'll be fine. Positive or negative. Either way, you'll be fine. He comes in and he looks at me and, you know, and I knew by then. He's like, so both areas are cancer. I'm going to have you get dressed and come on in. You know, come into my office. We'll talk about what's next. 
So I just kind of went through these motions, you know, like even telling the story now, it seems so surreal. Like, gosh, did all this even happen? You know, mm -hmm. because the next two weeks were like a whirlwind of information. So at this point, they knew that my cancer was triple negative. So the most aggressive of the breast cancers. We didn't know any staging at this point. My tumors are really small, but oncologists and plastic surgeon and you know and like all these doctors and scheduling and not really knowing what like basically he said to me in the office this is what's going to happen you're going to have all these doctor's appointments you're going to do chemo because of the type of cancer you have regardless of what you decide surgically um and i was like okay so now at this point my children knew how old were your kids my kids are triplets and they were yeah <laughs> So part of me wonders at this point, you know, 10 years later was my infertility treatment. No one can confirm or deny any of that, right? My cancer wasn't hormone driven. So who knows my kids, my sons, especially I have two boys and a girl. So they were 13, 12 at the time. My sons have always liked to wrestle with me. Like, I don't know. They think they just like throw me on the couch and like jump on me. And they come at me one day and I'm like, guys, you got to be careful. Like I had a procedure. I'm a little sore right after my biopsy. So now they're waiting for me to come home. And I walk in and I'm like, all right, you guys, this is what I know. I know that I'm going to go through treatment. I'm going to have chemo. I'm going to lose all my hair. This is what's going to happen. And my son starts crying. He's like, Mr. So-and-so died from cancer. And, and I'm like, Mr. So-and-so had different cancer and cancer's not what's going to kill me. That's what I'm going to tell you. It's not, I'm not going to die from this right now. I don't know down the road what's going to happen, but I'm telling you, this is what's going to happen. So I had no like warning sign. I felt fine. And oddly following treatment, I went to this four stage, like after cancer, you know, nutritional thing. And it was like a four stage course that was free that the cancer center provided. And the nutritionist is like, so, you know, to prevent recurrent cancers, it's important to maintain, you know, good nutrition and exercise. And, and I'm like me, excuse me. I'm like, what if you did all that beforehand and you still got cancer? Yeah. And she just looked at me and I was like, look at, I've been working out daily pretty much since I was 16. I eat well, you know, I take care of myself and I still got cancer. So yeah. what do you say to somebody who's always been healthy? And even in like the medical, you know, filling out medical histories, people are like, have you ever had this? Have you ever had that? I'm like, oh no, I just went right for the big one. Like I had <laughs> nothing. <laughs> But my, my attitude and my positivity has always kind of been one of those sarcastic, like, no, I skip over the small stuff and I just go for the big whammies, right? With kids. I don't have one kid. I have three. At one time. Let's At be really clear. Time. Exactly. Um, following my mastectomies, I was in the hospital getting ready to be released and the surgeon came in and I said to him, you know, I've always heard that cancer doesn't hurt. So why did this hurt? And he Ooh, said, good question. Yeah, because you know, you always hear, you never know. And he said, be thankful that this hurt you. He goes, it hurt because it was so aggressive. And if it didn't hurt by the time you found this, meaning my tumors were so small, by the time you found it, it probably would have been too late. At that point, you know, I think my main tumor was like one point something, you know, and my sentinel node was positive already. So they removed 11 lymph nodes 
from uh, my left side. Total gratitude today for the pain in the side of my boob. Was it the location of the tumor as well? Yeah. So it was like, you know, axillary. So as a matter of fact, I have a girlfriend that I went to high school with who had the exact same, you know, triple negative, but she had a lumpectomy because her tumor was on the inner part of her breast and mine was closer to the lymph nodes. It just, you know, kicked in and spread fast. She did chemo as well, but she's like, I think at 13 years, 13 or 14 years now with me, they didn't even really give me the option of a lumpectomy. I went, I was concerned actually, because I had decided I wanted bilateral mastectomy. I didn't want to be dealing with this. You know, I figured if I had one, I was going to be like walking around with my hand down my shirt for the rest of my life, feeling around for bumps, you know? So I said, I, I want to, I want bilateral. And when I saw the oncologist, she was like, yeah, that's, that's what's going to happen. They didn't offer to do, there was no nipple sparing, nothing. It was like gone. There wasn't a lot of surgical options in there other than reconstruction. So tell us a little bit about reconstruction because there are a lot of choices there. And then just also the, the post-surgery with the chemotherapy. And I believe you had radiation too. You know, one of those, if I knew then what I know now has now 10 years later, kind of coming up and we'll get into that a little bit after I had my mastectomies, gosh, within a month of diagnosis, I was in surgery. I had a really hard time post-surgery. I was in the hospital maybe five days, but some people are like in the hospital a day. So I did horribly with the anesthesia. Then they put in like those tissue expanders. So tough, brutal, like anybody who, I think they don't tell you about tissue expanders because of how bad they are, but I equate them to those disposable Ziploc storage containers. Like if someone shoved a disposable Ziploc storage container into your chest, they're sharp and rough and they're not, you know, they were just so like, I, like I said, I was very active. So my muscles spasmed for weeks. I was on, the doctor put me on like muscle relaxers and remember him telling me, be careful if you operate large machinery, you know, and I'm like, dude, I can't even operate the coffee pot on these things. Like, um, I couldn't even think straight, but I was having these horrible muscle spasms actually in my right side, more than my left. I don't know why from these tissue expanders, I had to sleep on my back. They were brutal. If I honestly, even then I said, oh my God, if I knew this, I don't know if I would have done reconstruction. So I started chemo in November. So September I was diagnosed, October I had surgery, November I started chemo. It was so rough. So I had a port um, because the, they used adriamycin cytosin, which is very caustic. So, you know, when they're telling me as they're doing my first treatment, you know, the nurse is like sitting 20 feet away from me with like gloves and a hazmat suit on because, you know, yeah. And I'm like, okay, this is really making me feel good. She's like, oh yeah. Cause if this stuff touches our skin, it like will burn right through. And I'm like, but you're putting it into my veins. So now I feel wonderful. Right. Yeah. Skull and crossbones. Yeah. I mean, ridiculous poison. My first treatment was okay. I felt really good, except that I was so hyped up on steroids that I couldn't stand myself. I wanted to rip my skin off my body. I had, after that one, realized I wasn't gonna have an allergic reaction and took it upon myself to cut back on my steroids. But like I did all my Christmas shopping. I was like 
have Thanksgiving. I was like going. So I had every other week. So for four months, I had eight rounds. The new Lasta, back then it was a shot. That thing threw me into all kinds of craziness. Like I was great for a couple days and then I'd get that in Lasta shot and I was like flat out for a weekend. I just couldn't move. I was so in so much pain. And I remember telling my family, I feel like it's, I can feel it going through my brain, whether it was the chemo or whatever it was. Like my brain felt like I could feel these chemicals running through them. Tell us about the shot for our audience. Help us understand what exactly that was. So Nulasta is basically to boost up your bone marrow so that you can fight off infection because the chemo re like reduces you to nothing. Um, and adrenomyosin cytosin is so caustic, so poisonous that it was used to make my bone marrow produce more cells so that I wouldn't end up sick in the hospital and crash my immune system. But what it did for me, aside from causing, so they say it just causes like bone pain. It made my whole body like swell and, and ache, like my skin hurt, um, like somebody filled me up like I was bloated. So I, re I remember like after my pregnancy, walking on my feet and my I couldn't feel my feet because they were so swollen. That's what it felt like, but it hurt. I just would lay there and like, oh my God, I can't even think. And then I would like bounce back. So I'd have chemo on Wednesday. I'd be good till Friday. I'd feel like garbage till Sunday. And then Monday, I'd be like, woohoo, let's go. I got through the adriamycin cytosin perfect. Like I really, other than feeling like garbage, nothing really happened. So they're like, oh, you're in the clear because this is the hardest one. Well, they put me on Taxol after that for my last four. Taxol threw me into a chemical depression like I've never experienced. It reminded me of like the worst postpartum depression. All I did was cry. I kept crying and crying and crying. And in one minute I'd be fine. And the next minute you'd look at me and I'd just be like, <laughs> and everyone's like, what the heck? And I kept saying like, I'm dying. Like this is, I'm dying. And I'd go to my oncologist and she's like, no, you're great. Your blood work is perfect. I'm like, you're not listening to me. You're killing me. During this time where you were, were you not referred to mental health services? Never. And so part of my story is that in my forties, mid forties, I went back to school and got my master's degree and became a therapist because I had originally thought that I would work predominantly with cancer patients because I you want to know the only time a social worker ever talked to me was on the last day of radiation. No one ever spoke to me. And actually my oncologist, as much as I like respected her, she, I actually felt like I was crazy. Like she was telling me she'd never had anyone have this kind of emotional reaction to this medication before. And I'm like, I find that hard to believe. Seriously. I'm like, really? I'm like, I'm the only crazy one. Please stop. You're killing me. I don't want to do anymore. It was like, absolutely. And she's like, well, we can't stop because in 10 years, I want you alive, which is kind of funny about this time of year is like my 10th year. She's like, but we can spread it out so that I give you less, but it's going to take longer. Uh-uh, I have February 15th in my brain. I'm done. They finally put me on antidepressant, but you know how that works. It takes several weeks for that to kick in. I was miserable. I, I don't know how my family got through it. My kids don't remember it much. But like my mother had come down to Florida 
And she had to come back two weeks later. I'm like, you have to come back. I, I can't do this. And she literally like drove me anywhere I had to go. I couldn't, I couldn't pull myself, my shit together. I was a mess. Wow. I'm never going to feel like myself again. I did. I had shaved my head early before I even started chemo. Actually, my hairdresser did it. She had a harder time with it than I did. She actually had to drink through the whole time she was shaving it. <laughs> she was a mess. And I'm like, just get rid of it. I said, because I need to be able to control one part of this. I want to be able to control one thing. I don't want to be drying my hair and have pieces fly out. Like people told me that had happened. You're going to take most of me at this point in time. You're taking a year of my life. I'm taking my own hair. You don't get that. I just want to add that it almost sounds a little bit like gaslighting putting that blame back on you instead of, instead of understanding that everybody's body reacts differently. I became the person who would make sure other people understood that. I had a colleague, one of my supervisors got breast cancer. By the time she went to the doctor, cause she kind of knew what it was. Yeah. Her tumor was, she was stage three, thankfully not four, but it had taken over almost her whole breast. And so I tried to explain to her, look, this is what chemo was like for me, but that's how it was for me. I never ended up in the hospital. My body did really well. Emotionally, I was a mess. She was the opposite. She spent almost her entire chemo in the hospital and she had a great mindset. I mean, she wasn't emotional. So we were the complete opposite. Her body just tanked. And mine was like, yeah, let's keep going. But nope, my brain was like, uh uh. After I finished treatment, and I'm like, can I get my port out? Because really, the one thing that bothered me the most was having this bottle cap in my chest. And she says to me, but I'm going to refer you for radiation. I think we should do radiation. So at the beginning, they told me I wasn't going to need radiation. And at that point in time, I wasn't thinking there was anything good here. Right. I was like, oh my God, I'm not done here. I'm thinking I'm done. It's over. And they're like, we want you to go to radiation. And my mom was with me and we both just started sobbing in the car because we were like, we thought we were done. The best part of it was that he said to me, look, you normally with your type of, with your cancer and your staging, we wouldn't offer radiation because it was so early, but we have found that life expectancy improves if we do radiation when there's any lymph nodes positive and since you have lymph nodes positive so let's make sure we get it all and we take no chances here that was very reassuring to me like okay you're being more aggressive than i would have been so i was able to accept the radiation part i didn't have any skin burning like my body and and that's the one thing that has always stuck with me so radiation was you know, for me super easy and i got to know a lot of people there because i went the same time every day so i saw the same people and so we got to talk about our experiences and that was kind of cool um i did go to like some support groups afterwards and found that i couldn't do them because the women in the support group had been going to the support group for like years and years and years after cancer. And they were still stuck in, I'm done. I'm ready to live now. Like I can't, I'm not staying in this place. It's time to move on again. And I started feeling like I was human and it was the surgeries. I had my tissue expanders 
swapped out for implants in March prior to starting radiation. That was like glorious. Like it was the easiest surgery ever. Like I felt like, whoa, I can lay on my chest again. And I felt like, you know, compared to tissue expanders, implants were nothing. I'm like, hey, at least I get perky boobs out of it. Like we're good. I got back to like normal life. Like my hair started to grow back. I walked in the Coleman three day in July. So I finished radiation in May. And in July, I joined a team and walked the three day 60 miles in Boston. I did not expect it to be as emotional as it was the sisterhood there, right? Like we walk, walking in as a survivor and having somebody next to you, look at you crying and then you start crying and everyone's holding hands and hugging. And it's like, there's a connection that none of us ever wanted as, and it's a connection you can't ever, you can't deny it's just there because we've been through this together during the last day of radiation, the social worker came in and she's, she's like, so I'm just checking in on you. And I'm like, really? So that fall, actually, I started researching master's degree programs. Um, cause I was a dental hygienist for 20 plus years and, and I was burnt out on it. I was like, I need something different. And I had really considered becoming an oncology nurse and I didn't because I didn't want to repeat all those sciences again. So I looked into my other options and I thought, well, you know what? There was no support. There was not only no support for me, there was no support for my family. No one even asked how my kids were. I had planned it so that my children spent my bad weekend with their dad. We switched weekends. I said, look, I'm having chemo on Wednesdays. I need my kids to, the kids to be with you that weekend. They would be with their dad all weekend. And by the time they came back to me Monday after school, I was starting to rebound again. So that worked out really well. And even today they don't, like they're 23 now, they don't remember it. They don't remember a lot of it. Becoming a therapist. Tell us a little more about that because, you know, I'm always interested when cancer changes somebody's actual trajectory for their life because it did for me the only thing i can say is that i found my purpose cancer led me down this path which became my reason so i dove into like my practice and learning about me and you know how being positive and relying on my spiritual growth and what cancer taught me brought to my practice and it has been, and I work a lot with women. That's where my passion is, um, especially like midlife or life transition, empty nesters or divorces or retiring or career change, like helping women recognize that we have so much more that is at our disposal than just following the society's box that it says, this is what you're supposed to do as a woman. We're meant for more than just getting married and raising kids and then going, is this it? Like what's next? So that's where my passion came in. And if it wasn't for cancer, still be a dental hygienist. <laughs> I probably would. Yeah. Because it taught me take the risks. What are you afraid of? Life is short. You know, you can't, somebody asked me yesterday, these are my options and I, my dream is to move to Maine, but I think I need to stay where I am so that I can retire and get the benefits. And I'm like, I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. If this past couple of years taught us anything, 
nothing's guaranteed. So ask yourself, is it worth putting your dreams off for financial stability or reassurance? Because none of that is guaranteed. Like your company could go down the tubes tomorrow and so does your retirement. But your dream, can you live and go, wow, I'm really glad I didn't live my dream. One of the opportunities I got was to start my own practice. Um, I never would have done that. I would have been going through the status quo like everybody else, just earning a paycheck instead of taking the risk and going, oh, what do I have to lose? If it doesn't work, I start over. So you kind of mentioned this early on, but I just, so people really understand, what is that one thing you wish you'd known at the very beginning? I wish I knew more about the reconstruction process. I just last year this time had my implants replaced. Um, my left implant, which is my cancer side, my radiation side, it had ruptured. So I had it replaced. Um, somebody, uh, amazing plastic surgeon down here did it for me. And that was September last year. Recently, over the last six months, I noticed a bump where my original tumor was. And it's been sensitive and I know there's scar tissue there and all that. So I had seen her a couple weeks ago. I saw her down in Fort Myers and she's like, let's just get an MRI to check and make sure everything's okay. Had that yesterday. So we talk about the timing here. We are in October breast cancer awareness month. So I'm in there for my MRI and it's like a deja vu. They're like, we're going to do an ultrasound too. And I'm like, oh Jesus. So I know well enough to know that cancer's not coming back there, but seriously, what is it? They think that implant is ruptured again. So a year later, now I have this new implant that they think is ruptured. And is it creating a problem? Is my body rejecting it? Who knows? They don't talk to you about any of this. No one tells you 10 years down the road, your implants are going to suck. And your skin, like my skin right now, when I had this surgically done, my skin was so thin from having no fat there and no, for 10 years, just being like skin. My oncologist made me wear a sports bra 24 seven for two months after she did the surgery. And she wouldn't let me even go for a walk outside. She's like, I don't want you sweating. I don't want you working out. Don't lift anything up. She's like, you can pick up the gallon of milk and that's it. Like literally she's like, do nothing, which is impossible for me. But she's like, I don't trust this skin. She's like, I made the smallest opening I could. She's, and she basically said, I don't know how many more times we can replace these implants because the skin is so thin. No one tells you your skin's going to get thinner than paper. It can tear like that. I'm like, well, no one told me that and my reconstruction might fail. And I'm not sure I could have heard it even if they did back then because I was so freaked out, but I wish that there was more time to kind of weigh those pros and cons of reconstruction because you don't hear about that. And you also don't get told about the scar tissue. Yeah. Nobody told me that I was gonna have issues with my chest muscles for the rest of the time. My son said to me yesterday, mom, you can't do those, like suck your boob into your armpit anymore. If you take your implants out, because literally like I can pull them into my armpits cause they're all muscle. It's all muscle there. My boy, my kids would watch me work out. And if I was doing it, doing pushups, they'd be like, mom, your chest does weird things. I'm like, why are you looking at my chest? They don't tell you that they don't tell you that you're going to be self-conscious about it. 
yeah, you're going to get great implants, but you're going to wonder if everybody's looking at you every time you move because it doesn't look natural. They don't tell you that if you have to date again, that you're going to feel funky about having no boobs. So there's lots of things about that whole reconstruction process I wish I knew. If you could only do one thing, and yes, you only get one, <laughs> to improve healthcare in the U.S., what would it be and why? I would make healthcare more accessible. I'm self-employed. I pay, I don't even know, $300 a month for my insurance, and I have an $8,500 deductible. So yesterday I paid $850 out of pocket for a, an MRI. Thankfully, I'm in a position where I have help from my parents too to do that, but I had not had my mammogram because I had no health insurance. And at that point in time, we were not doing free mammograms like they do now. There's so many things that we put off, men and women, because healthcare is not accessible and or insure it's not affordable. You know, it's it's not. And so if there was anything I could do, it would be to make things more affordable for people so that they can get the test that they need. I need a colonoscopy. I'm 51. I haven't had one. I don't have any insurance that's going to cover it. So I'm like, well, I could do one of those home tests, you know. Again, the things that we don't do, because insurance is not here to help us, ultimately. It's still a money-making industry. Well, I had a spinal fusion last year, and I still think that my neck and shoulder issues are from my chest. So I had, a, I had C5 and 6 fused, and three days before my surgery, after being in pain for four years, they call me three days before and tell me I need to bring six grand with me the day of surgery. I don't have $6,000 extra. I didn't even have $6,000 at that point in time, right? So like I luckily I was able to call my parents and they wired money to me about a year after my treatment. I had a full hysterectomy and everything just because I was having all kinds of issues after chemo and I had endometriosis, which is why I ended up with triplets. And on, then on top of it, I can't take any hormone replacements because of my breast cancer. So Effexor works really well for night sweats and hot flashes, even if it is, it's an antidepressant. I went on when I was really depressed during chemo, they put me on Prozac and then I ended up switching to Effexor after my hysterectomy because it definitely helps with the night sweats and the hot flashes. And I will never, ever come off of an antidepressant again because I never want to feel the way I did during chemo when, like I tell people I was suicidal. I was rational and logical enough to know what was happening to me. But if I was not in healthcare and not aware of what was going on, I can see how people would, you know, take their life. Because I was like, look, I'm, I'm suicidal. You need to put me somewhere because I don't trust myself. All right, you ready to switch gears? Yeah, yeah. And do the driver rapid fire. Okay. Beach, desert, or mountains? Mountains, without a doubt. And you live in Florida. I just I want to do. double check. And you know what? I just came back from a 10 day trip out west to Utah and hiked about 100 miles over the five national parks. And oh, wow. I have one foot out of Florida. Okay. Yeah. I'm just laughing because I've been to the highest point in Florida and I think it's 300 feet. Or yeah. Something. And try hiking in Utah when you live under the sea. I was like, <gasps> what's wrong wow. with me? Yeah. Without a doubt. It is my 
my connector. Yeah. Beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? Oh, Beach Boys. And what is one word that best describes you? I think compassionate. And see the first word that popped into my head for you, and this is not an adjective, but it was like, you're a pistol. You're just a pistol. <laughs> I love it. My thing is do it afraid. I tell everybody, look at do it afraid. Just do it afraid. I do everything afraid. You know, when I was traveling the past couple of weeks, I was by myself. I planned this 12 day trip. I went to Albuquerque for the hot air balloon fiesta first. And then I went to Utah for eight days and hiked in all five national parks by myself. And people out there were like, are you out here alone? And I was like, yeah, of course I am. And they're like, well, good for you. And I'm like, if I was a man one, you'd never say that. And then I said, yeah, why do I, I'm not going to wait for somebody to travel with me. Right. I don't know what's in store. I'm at peace with my life and who I am as a person. And if there's a partner somewhere along the line, so be it. But I'm not going to not live my life waiting for that. So just do it afraid. I don't know. And I don't know like where I say Florida's not my final resting place. And people are like, where, where is? I'm like, I have no clue. I want to have fun and make a difference, make have an impact, you know, let take my story and let my story help other people get through what they're going through, because that's why we have a story. Before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? My kind of theme song right now is a Kenny Chesney song called Better Boat. Oh my God, I know that song. Right, you know that song? And I'm always like, I'm learning to build a better boat. Like I'm constantly, I don't know if the thing's gonna float when it's done, but I'm just gonna keep learning it. So yeah, great song. Yeah, okay, I love it. <laughs> what about the last meal you wanna eat? I want really, really good pizza. I like it. And the last person or people you will see? I'm all my children for sure. And the last words you will speak. Oh, the last words were, will be I love you to anybody who's there, you know? And aside from Cancer U, what is one resource you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? And also be sure to tell people how they can get in touch with you. Yeah, so I really wish I could say the uh, American Cancer Society would be a great resource, but they didn't help me out at all. So, you know, one resource would be a cancer survivor. If you're going through cancer treatment or you're a caregiver, stay off of the forums that are like supposed to be supportive because the people on there are not living their life. They're just focusing on the negative. Reach out to someone like us who are taking on the world after cancer. I love to talk to people about my experience and how to just keep living. I ran into a woman one time who was like, how do you leave the house? How do you, she's like, I don't even want to see my grandchildren. And she was years past breast cancer and I had just finished treatment. And I'm like, well, you let it win then. It won. It's not taking the rest of my life. For you oh, and great advice. Right, just get out there. How can people get in touch with you? Because I know they are going to want to. So you can find me on Facebook at uh, Kelly Bannon Scroy on public. So you can find me. Um, I'm on Instagram as Kelly Scroy. Um, I have a website. It is Kelly Scroy LMHC.com. Reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram and or send me an email.
one of the things that I've always said, if somebody remembers me after I'm gone as like, I was kind or I helped them get through something, then I've served my purpose. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Thank you for having me. It was so nice to chat. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.